0: Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. So 2019, I was studying the New Testament from the Bible. And those of you who are not Christian, hopefully you can still glean some wisdom and some insight from my studies. I wanted to dedicate this episode to some of the verses that I read that I thought were very applicable to our situation. Similarly, there are some very sexist, misogynistic verses in the Bible, particularly by Paul. So I am not going to cover those or focus on those today. If you're wondering about these scriptures that say things like women should be silent or they shouldn't speak in church or they should obey their husbands or whatever, please read the book, Jesus Feminist by Sarah Bessie. That is on our website, btr.org backslash books. She really puts all of those types of scriptures in context, and I don't want to focus on those today, so I'm not going to be covering those. If you've read those scriptures and you've thought, what is going on with these verses, I highly recommend that book again. That's Jesus Feminist by Sarah Bessie, and you can order that book on our website btr.org/books. What I really wanted to talk about was the comforting scriptures that can really bring us comfort and also help us know that setting boundaries is God's way of helping us stay safe. I believe God is a God of boundaries. He sets commandments and the commandments are to protect ourselves and they're also to protect other people. So, for example, if we do not lie, we are protecting other people. And it is a way of showing love for ourselves and showing love for our fellow men. But before I start sharing my thoughts from the New Testament, I want to remind everyone that Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, which is our online support group, it's live. Our coaches are awesome. It is running every day, multiple times a day in multiple time zones. This is the best way for you to get immediate and appropriate and ethical help. You can get on every single session. It's up to, I think we're up to 19 or 20 sessions a week right now. You could get on every single one. You never have to make an appointment. You never have to wait. So to learn more about Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, go to our website, btr.org. Click on services and go to online support group. Or maybe it says daily support group, I'm not sure. But that is our Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, which is here for you. And you really get to interact with real people online. You don't have to leave your house, you don't have to get childcare. We made it specifically for you. So as I go through some of these scriptures, you're going to see some patterns emerge. And basically I'm just going through the main highlighted sections of what I read. So if you wanna follow along, great, if not, Great. I read from the King James Version, so if you use a different translation or a different version, I'll just say the scriptures and the verses. So I'm going to start in Matthew 5. This one really struck me. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and this is Christ talking about the Beatitudes. But 10 and 11 in this really apply to us. It says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now, when it says for my sake, I believe that is the sake of truth. I also believe in an afterlife and I believe that this life that we have now is hell. Like it's the worst it's ever going to get right now. And that helps bring me peace. Because we all know that true justice or true truth cannot exist in this life. Let me just give you an example. Coach Joy and I have been praying and considering and pondering and thinking about polygraphs. Over on the Center for Peace side, the abusive men are required to take occasional polygraphs. We know that polygraphs are problematic, right? We know that they're not guaranteed. And so... We've just been considering, like, is there any other option? How can we ensure that we're getting the truth? Stuff like that. And as we prayed and pondered about it, we both realized there is no humanly way. Our opinion is that polygraphs are good. We'll continue doing them. It's very important. They're the best thing we have. But even better than a polygraph is your intuition. Some people might call it the spirit. Some people might call it the Holy Ghost. Some women who are not religious might just call it their gut or their intuition, if we can learn over time to really, really trust our intuition or the spirit, it is going to be the most accurate way of discerning truth. I know of a woman who had absolutely no proof of her husband's affairs and his pornography use. And he was a very high-up member in her church and community and also a seminary teacher. He was teaching the gospel. He had a ministry. And she decided to file for divorce just on her gut alone, having absolutely no proof. And people called her crazy. Her kids called her crazy. Her church leaders called her crazy. She is one of the bravest women that I know. And I am so proud to be among her. So she has been reviled, she's been persecuted, all manner of evil has been said against her falsely for Christ's sake or for the truth's sake. Her courage is inspiring to me. We have obviously talked about Matthew 5, 28 on the podcast, saying that pornography use and watching anything to get turned on is adultery. Christ says himself in that verse, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So we know that pornography use or lusting is a serious issue. It is not something to be taken lightly and it is an abuse of trust and it is an abuse of the relationship. In Matthew six twenty-two, it says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. And then 23, but if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. So what we see with men with abusive tendencies, the four pillars of abuse are entitlement and objectification. I need to do a podcast about this. I haven't. But number one, entitlement and objectification. I'm entitled to sex, this is a sex object. I'm entitled to a woman cleaning the bathrooms. I'm entitled to her cooking. I'm entitled to whatever. I'm entitled to view her as an object. I deserve it, that type of mindset. The second pillar is control, manipulation, lies and secrecy. So calculated behaviors to try to control an outcome. It's goal oriented and that part has that good guy facade. I'm going to manipulate other people's perception of me by showing up at church, by doing good talks, by doing service, but it's calculated because it includes lies and secrecy. The third pillar of abuse is compulsive behaviors. So they have a lack of integrity, both relational and personal. So if they say they don't use porn or if they say they believe in being true to their wife, but they're compulsively visiting prostitutes or compulsively masturbating, then that is another way they abuse that relationship or abuse that trust. And the fourth pillar of abuse is lack of accountability. They have no empathy, no remorse, and they do not make restitution when they hurt somebody. So when we talk about those four pillars of abuse, you can see that that eye is not single and full of light. Those four pillars of abuse, the way they perceive the world makes it so their whole body is full of darkness. They're not able to perceive things accurately. I would say my ex is like completely and totally delusional. He cannot view the world from a perspective of truth or accuracy. And so the way he interprets the world isn't accurate. So this isn't something that if they just stop using porn, then they'll improve, although they will. If someone stops using porn, that will improve some things. But this is a way of looking at the world, and it's systemic and it's societal. And so helping a man, quote unquote, trying to help a man stop viewing the world this way is impossible. They have to start taking steps to do it themselves. Center for Peace holds men accountable for this type of perception, and the goal is to help change the perceptions. Now, does it always work? No. The man has to be committed and admit that the way he views the world is skewed. In that same chapter, Matthew chapter 6, we've got 31 through 34, which I think really, if you believe it, may help you. And I love this, it really helps me. When I get really stressed out about finances or get really stressed out about future or retirement, which I don't have at all. (laughs) And my house desperately, my house is disgusting, just so you know, it's my dream house. I've talked about my dream house before. The structure is my dream house, but the actual inside is old and really gross. Like the carpet is really disgusting. And I have carpet under my dining room table and it really bothers me. And I dream day in and day out of being able to replace that with luxury vinyl planks. That's what I'm looking forward to. It really stresses me out, but right now I can't do anything about it. And I can't do anything about my long-term financial future right now. All I can do is take a step at a time. I was at the point four years ago, where I didn't know how to I would pay for groceries. I didn't know how I would pay for my house payment. So I've been there. Now I can pay for groceries, which is great. I can pay my house payment, but there's some other things that I'm stressed out about. So no matter what stage you are at, this scripture may or may not help. Verse 31, therefore take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. And I'll say there, seek ye first the truth. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. For those of you who are atheists or not religious, perhaps the way to say this would be, but seek ye first truth. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. One way to put this is we're in this eternal moment of now. It's always now. It's never going to be tomorrow. So when I was going through this, I had a friend who would say, when I was so traumatized and just hysterical and having a difficult time just functioning She would say, let's look at right now. Do you have a roof over your head right now? And I would say, yes. And she'd say, do you have food right now? Are you hungry? And I'd be like, no, I ate. Do you have water right now? And I'd be like, yes, I have water right now. And taking one moment at a time when the trauma is really extreme really helped me. Because there's no other way to do it. There's no other way but through. And there is no tomorrow ever. And I love this because if we focus on now, especially when the trauma is really intense, we will come out of the fog eventually. And all we have to ever worry about is right now. There's another guy that I've been reading a lot lately. His name's Glenn Livingston, and he wrote a book called Never Binge Again, if you're interested in it. But he says, choose healthy eating right now, like right now. It's always now. And so this always now idea, I think is what the scripture is talking about. And it really can help us get through the trauma. When the trauma is really intense, after a while, like it's been four years for me, now I can start thinking about, oh, I don't have a retirement, right? I can start thinking kind of a little bit farther out. But the interesting thing is, the now principle still applies to me. So I'm very concerned about the things that I talked about, my disgusting carpet, any of that. But I can still say, well, right now, I can go for a walk. Right now I can take care of myself. All right. Matthew 7 is rough. I'm going to preface this part with, I hate scriptures like this because I believe them. And then I do what it says and I don't get what I want. And it irks me and it frustrates me and it makes me very mad. So in Matthew 7 verses 7 through 10, and probably all of you have done this and probably most of you feel the same way about it, but 7 says, ask and it shall be given unto you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh shall it be opened. Okay, so I'm sure that a lot of you have gone to church or some, a friend has said, have you prayed about it? And you look at them and roll your eyes and you're like, no, no. Oh, good idea. I never thought about that. Like, no, I never prayed. Of course you've prayed about it. If you believe in God, of course you have nailed down. You have bawled your eyes out. You have screamed and yelled to God. Of course you have prayed about it. Of course you have asked. Of course you have begged God for help. You've begged him for miracles. And this scripture says, ask and it shall be given unto you. Now, if you're like me and you're like, this is a bunch of bull crap. Like, I pray and pray and pray, and it doesn't happen. I really don't know what to say, actually, except for that, in spite of how frustrated I get, in spite of how it seems like some people pray and they have answers, some people pray and their husband's like, Oh, I've been terrible, and they start taking accountability and they start being honest or whatever. I thought that happened to me. For those of you who know my whole story, there was a stint of five years where I thought that was happening. Like he seemed humble. He seemed honest to me. He wasn't. He was grooming me that whole time, but he seemed like it. So there's a couple of big giant prayers that I have prayed. One is for a righteous, noble, non-abusive man to come into my life, to have a really beautiful friendship and relationship that is kind and loving and just amazing. I've prayed that prayer so many times and it has not been given to me. So do I just take this scripture and throw it out the window and say, okay, I'm gonna stop praying? Or do I say, maybe I'm not ready or maybe God is preparing this for me or maybe it won't be in this life or you know, there's a number of things I could say. But I will say that this morning I felt the most like amazing sense of gratitude for what I had been through. And an amazing sense of gratitude for my ex-husband, because I feel like where I am now, I am so much more healthy. I'm so much happier. I'm so much deeper. I have so much more knowledge and wisdom. Now, I'm not the wisest or the most knowing. I have such a long way to go. But I'm so much better prepared now, and I don't know if I could have had that type of relationship, that deep and abiding, kind, loving relationship before, and maybe I could have it now. I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's preparing me for it. Maybe he's not. I don't know. When it comes to these types of scriptures, I have to make a choice. I have to say, do I believe in God and do I believe this scripture? And I can choose yes or no. And the choice that I make is yes, I choose to believe. I choose to trust that the prayers that I am saying, even though it doesn't feel like it, even though I'm mad, even though I'm frustrated, that really when it comes down to it, that God does listen to my prayers and that he has my best interest at heart and the things that are happening in my life are happening for my good. Now that sounds a whole lot like trying to placate a victim to get her to shut up. But it also might be a loving God who is leading me and guiding me and taking me to a better place. And I'm going to choose to believe that. And the reason I'm going to choose to believe that is because I think it's true. And also the alternative is so dark and depressing and sad, and it makes me sad. And where is that going to get me? Maybe suicide? I don't know. But no, I don't want to go that route. So sometimes we, at least for me, I have to just make a choice. And that choice, I believe, leads me in a better direction. So 9 and 10 say, Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? And in 10, or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? Everyone here feels like they've asked God for bread and God has given them rocks. Everyone here feels like they asked for a fish and God gave them a serpent. We've all felt like that. We feel like we're praying, we're praying, praying, and we're getting rocks or we're getting snakes. When I feel like that, it really humbles me, humbles me to the point where I can kneel down and I can say, okay, I feel like I'm getting rocks and I feel like I'm getting snakes. What I really want is bread and I really want fish. So what do I need to learn? Please teach me. Please guide me. So currently with these scriptures, what I'm considering is help me with my perception of men. Help me understand the way I interact. Help me understand what you want me to think, what you want me, God, to see. How can I remove these ways that I perceive things that may be incorrect and start viewing things truthfully? And truth be told, so many of my prayers have been answered. The prayers that always get answered in my house are prayers for lost objects. I know that sounds really ridiculous, but every time we lose something, I tell my son, hey, pray, let's try and find, it could be anything, a library book, an earring, whatever. In fact, uh, over Thanksgiving, I lost one of my favorite earrings. We said a prayer and my son found it. On the floor, it was a tiny little like cubic zirconium. Is that- I don't even know that. if that's how you say it, but like a little fake diamond stud which should have been impossible to find, found it. I love the little prayers that get answered because I think, okay, God always answers my prayers when I ask him to help me find something. And he really does, which is amazing. And I think that's kind of funny. So if you're thinking, he never answers my prayers. Are there types of prayers that get answered? For me, it's finding objects. There's other types of prayers that are frequently, quickly answered very quickly answered. In fact, I remember one really clearly. I was skiing in a big bowl and there was lots of powder and I lost my ski. And we looked and looked and looked and I couldn't find it. And I was giving up hope and thinking, oh, you know, I don't know how long it had been, but it had been a really long time. And I thought, oh, I I need to pray. I prayed, stood up, walked over, stuck my hand in the snow and pulled out my ski. So does God answer my prayers? Does he hear me? The answer to that is yes. Yes. And I don't know why some of my prayers have not been answered, but I do know that many of them, lots of them have been. And I encourage all of us to think about the collective prayers we are all saying, because we're all saying the same prayer. When will truth win? When will we be protected? And if all of us are praying this collective prayer of truth, and we're all praying this collective prayer of peace, and it's not being answered, my guess is God has something big in store for all of us. And maybe it will happen for all of us all at once. Maybe it will be the second coming. Maybe he'll come down and just like strike all of the abusive men from the earth all at once. I don't know. But this is a collective prayer. We're all praying together. And I want to encourage you that we continue to do that because I believe I'm choosing to believe that God is hearing us because he's really our only hope. We know that the law doesn't help us. We know that therapists don't. We know that like society in general doesn't see it. So we know that God is our only option here. So let's not give up on him. In Matthew 9, we have a couple of scriptures that pertain to us, but also abusive men. 9.4 says, "Wherefore, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore, think ye evil in your hearts? Only God can see on the heart. We know that. And then he talks about in verse 16, no man putteth a piece of new cloth onto an old garment for that which is put in to fill it up, taketh from the garment and the rent is made worse. 17, neither do men put new wine in old bottles, else the bottles break and the new wine runneth out and the bottles perish, but they put new wine into new bottles and both are preserved. So he's talking about this like overall change, right? Right. So if you have someone who is perceiving things incorrectly, you can't just change one thing about that perception. You have to change the heart. You have to change the mind. You have to change those perceptions or things aren't going to work out. And I think that is true for us as well. My perceptions have changed a lot, right? I perceived myself as safe. I perceived my husband as a good guy. I perceived other abusive men as, oh, they just, they need love or whatever. I I didn't understand boundaries. Like my whole perception has shifted and that has really helped keep me safe. In Matthew 10, 26, we have Christ telling the righteous directly to fear not the unrighteous. He says, fear them not for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. And then in 28, and fear them not which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear them which are able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And then he tells us, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not therefore, for ye are of more value than many sparrows. The truth will come out. It will come out. I don't know how, I don't know when I, I, all of us are praying for that. Uh, but the important thing is that we walk in truth, right? That we are shedding our own perceptions, that we are becoming more healthy as this, as time goes on. And this one, of course, everyone loves Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right. So when I study the scriptures, I put red as like bad things. So I I underline red with things that hurt people. They hurt me or they hurt someone else. And then dark purple is boundaries. Faith or belief is in orange. So if I'm like, oh, this is what I want to do. I don't know if I believe it, but this is what I'm going to choose to believe this thing. That's in orange. So in Matthew 15, I have a lot of red, And in verse 8, talking about people who do not live in truth. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching the doctrines of the commandments of men. A lot of us have seen this. We have a husband who confesses to love us, right? They say that, but their actions are different. Or they show up at church and they say they love God, but then they're unwilling to be honest, they're unwilling to obey the commandment of honesty or to be true or be, to be faithful to their marriage vows. 11 is interesting. Verse 11, it says, Not that which goeth into the mouth defile a man. So, for example, you know, what someone hears may or may not hurt them. It does. We know pornography is going to hurt them. We know that certain things, if we hear, are going to hurt us. It says, But that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. So, I think this is saying that we're all going to be exposed to harmful things. We're all gonna be exposed to some type of exploitation of some type like pornography or crude language or someone yelling at us or something. We're all gonna be exposed to that. But what's really gonna hurt us is our own actions. So if we choose to then abuse someone else or if we choose to then lie, if we choose to try and manipulate, that will hurt us worse because we can always seek safety through healthy living and boundaries. That will always take us to safety. But if we start to engage in unhealthy behaviors and don't set boundaries, then we are going to get hurt. Here's a boundary one. So this is still 15 verse 13. But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father hath not planted shall be rooted up. And in 14, here's a boundaries one, let them alone. Basically saying, don't interact with them. They be blind, leaders of the blind and if the blind lead the blind both shall fall into the ditch. And then in 15:18 he says, "But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man." We have experienced this ourselves men bearing false witness against us. So they're saying, I was a witness to her being a jerk or her abusing me or her not loving me or her not respecting me or, you know, whatever it is that they say. All right. I'm going to continue talking about my New Testament studies for the next couple weeks. I really appreciate those of you who are not religious being patient and listening to these insights that I gained. Those of you who are religious or do study the scriptures, I'd love to hear your thoughts about how scriptures have helped your recovery. And those of you who aren't, like any quotes that you have or insights or maybe books that you study that have really helped you heal and find truth for you would be awesome. So go to the website btr.org, find this episode on podcasts and you can comment. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear your thoughts. In Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, which is our daily online support group, many of the women are religious. So they talk about their own experience, but many of them are not. So everyone is welcome. It is interfaith, but also interparadigm. So when I say interfaith, you don't even have to have a faith to come. The cool thing is everyone has a shared experience, and that is the important thing, is that we are all trying to get through this together. And the stronger we can be together, if we can be unified in our desire for truth and justice, then we can change the world together. So please go to btr.org, look at the daily online support group. It's called BTRG for short, for Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. We have multiple sessions a day in multiple time zones. Our coaches are the best coaches. They get it immediately. You don't have to explain the psychological abuse or you don't have to explain that pornography is sexual coercion. You're not going to get looks like, what are you talking about? This is crazy. So please check out the session schedule. I will continue this discussion next week. And again, I really want to hear your comments. So please go comment on our website Also, if this podcast is helpful to you, please rate it on iTunes. Every single one of your ratings helps isolated women find us. And until next week, stay safe out there.